seated. As I said, we're going to spend some time now in God's Word, and we are entering into a sermon series that we left off last year in the book of Isaiah. Each year, at about this time, we dedicate six or seven weeks to the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, the major prophets, of which Isaiah is one. Now, quick update. We have about 17 years left together, at least, Lord willing, and in order to give a fair representation of the whole counsel of God's will, we must do this and be in the Old Testament and be in the major prophets, but Isaiah is one of them, 66 books, right? And then comes Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel, and then Daniel. So we are going to go about it this way, that as we pick up here this morning in Isaiah 52, verse 13, that is not where we left off. We're bookending Isaiah. Having done the first several chapters, we will now end with the remaining several chapters over the next two years. And then we'll pick up with Jeremiah again, Lord willing. But that's the plan. That's where we are on the plan at this time. But as promised, we're turning to God's Word. It is primary. It is authoritative. It is other things. It is holy. It is inspired. And it is infallible. It will stand forever. It will not fall. It will not fade. This is God's Word. Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at verse 13. Behold... My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond the human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely... He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes... We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Here ends the reading of God's word, and may it be a blessing to his people every one of whom is a transgressor. What is a transgressor? It is one who sins because he or she wants to, not because they can't help it, not because someone made them do it, but because they want to. And here we are provided with one who would make intercession for us with the holy God against whom we have willfully sinned. Apart from Christ, we are in a very precarious place. Apart from God's grace and mercy to make himself known in his word and to apply it by his spirit, we are, in fact, lost. Lost eternally. So who's taking the initiative here? God. What's his purpose here? And his word would go forward. And it would be heard. And it would have a transformative effect and that there would, in fact, be those who would then respond and belong to him eternally. That's what's happening here, or has happened here, and we are being blessedly and blissfully reminded of who he is and what he's done. Now we're in the major prophet, so a good question would be, what is a prophet? Some of you would say, oh, it's when you spend some money, but you make more money. That's a prophet. That's not the kind of prophet we're talking about. Then you might say, oh, yes, 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 the prophet is that one who predicts the future. And I would say, okay, so if Isaiah is a prophet and if these are his words, in fact, he has predicted something that was to come from that moment when he was first preaching this word. But the role of the prophet more expansive, is more expansive than this. The prophet is God's appointed spokesperson. They have the authority to speak for God. And so we do well to listen to a prophet. We do well to listen to God's word. A prophet is one who will speak God's word into any and every situation, be it a national one, be it an individual one, be it a people of faith, the church one. The prophet must speak the truth. The truth is God's word. That is the function of a prophet. They're not often very popular. 
They're not often listened to by many, but they're always listened to by some. So for those who would give ear to God, they must then also give ear to the one whom God has sent. In this case, Isaiah. But Isaiah is taking pains to point us to another one. So what is happening here is this, that whatever situation you have come into this room out of, whatever situation you are even in this room in, your maker, your creator, your sustainer is so near as to be granting you the breath that you are now breathing and with which I am now speaking. He is the source of life. He is the source of that breath. And he with that authority of creator, he with that power of sustainer is directing our eyes. And with our eyes, our ears, and with our eyes and our ears, our hearts to behold whatever situation you're in, to behold that which he has determined it is essential that we behold. Personally, I think it would be a good idea to listen to God simply because of his goodness. We are seeking even in this election season to find one that we can hear from and listen to and believe and act in accordance with their words. And we are finding ourselves, as every election cycle beforehand, and even in countries that have only known monarchies, kings, dictators, it's, it's, it's vacillating. There's not consistency. Why? Because they, as we, are part of this fallen world. And sin affects everything that we do and everything that we say, everything we hear. It affects our understanding. It affects our actions. And we get this. And God gets this first and thus, in his grace and in his love, in his power, in his mercy, he is giving loving orders to his people today and every day to behold. All right, what are we then to behold? What are we then to lock our eyes on? And verse 13, my servant. We are to behold God's servant we might think it's Isaiah, but it's Isaiah talking here, and he's talking about this servant, so it's not Isaiah. So we're to be looking for this one who is the servant of God, who is authorized then to speak for and act in accordance with the will of God. How will we recognize him? Behold, verse 13, my servant shall act wisely. Well, if we have been looking for one who will act universally with wisdom, and if we've been looking to world leaders at any point in history, including yesterday, we haven't found it. And if we are so humble as to even put ourselves under that same test and go to the mirror to see if there is one there who acts uniformly with wisdom, we know that it doesn't exist in this world. That person isn't here. It exists in pieces and piecemeal and here and there, but it's inconsistent. In order to behold, in order to observe, to lock eyes upon this servant, we will find one who acts wisely, who has wisdom, who has knowledge, whose words and whose actions mesh uniformly, perfectly, who is not uninformed, who is not ignorant. And this is something very important for us to understand if we are to see if we are to behold this one, because what he will undergo, 
could cause us to believe that only a madman would endeavor to achieve such an end at such a price. Unless, in fact, he is the Lord's servant and he's acting in perfect concert with the will of God for the purpose of God, which is to redeem sinners at a great price. So, transgressor, hear the word of the Lord and seek this servant that you would set your eyes upon him. What happens then? If that is achieved, what happens? Your circumstances become secondary by default. Your circumstances are reigned over by default. They are made secondary at best. And in this there is rest, even if the circumstance continues, be it a terrible diagnosis, be it a besetting sin, be it a family situation, a work situation, a world situation, secondary at best. And another rest, passing, fleeting, on its way out. Lock your eyes on this servant. Why? Because he's here now and he is there for eternity. How else will we recognize this one? If we would have this rest, if we would know this peace, if we would know this forgiveness from sin that would put us at peace with God that we cannot find or produce. Again, God is being very gracious to his people to tell us what to do. Behold, my servant, he will act wisely. How else will we recognize him? He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Fair to expect of the one who would be the Lord's servant, I suppose. When we hear things in the Bible, when we hear things in uh, ancient Mideastern literature, if something is repeated three times, we know that means that's the extent of language's ability to convey what we're trying to convey here. So when we have high, lifted up, exalted right here in this phrase from ch uh, chapter 52, verse 12, 13, we understand that this one can be exalted no higher. There isn't a higher position to which any could be exalted, and this servant is there. He is high. He is lifted up. He's exalted. And again, as I said, we can maybe expect this, but as we have our eyes peeled for who this might be, let me make a 700-year jump, and please come with me if you would. Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah's ministry took place over a roughly 60-year span and in his 60-year span of ministry, he saw the northern kingdom of Israel decimated and carried off into captivity. He saw a nation coming apart actually taken away. And he preached before, and he preached during, and he preached after. And this was the word, behold, my servant, look for my servant, lock eyes upon my servant. These cataclysmic events that are unfolding... You are not to look at them. You are not to define yourself or your life by them. You are to behold my servant. He is coming. And 700 years pass. And indeed, there is one who is speaking. And I've turned now to the Gospel of John. Our former previous sermon series a number of weeks ago uh, was in the Gospel of John. So we return there for a moment to hear the words of the one speaking who is Jesus. He calls himself the Son of Man, but it is very evident from the Gospel of John and the other three Gospels with it that he is, in fact, also, at the same time, the Son of God. 
And it is he who is speaking. So let me remind you that if you would hear God, then you would listen to the one that he sends. And the one that he sends, he sends with the authority to speak for him. So again, if based on nothing other than God's goodness, give ear to his servant, who is also his son. And he is here speaking publicly. And he is days away from his crucifixion. So as we have just leapt from this prophecy of Isaiah that says that this servant will be high and lifted up and exalted and where we might even expect that of such a servant, it would do us well to hear from that very servant about that servant. It would do us well to hear Jesus speak about Jesus in regards to this lifting up. So in John chapter 12, I will begin at verse 27. These are Jesus' words. And especially regarding his being lifted up, he says this. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. 700 years have passed for this purpose. My soul is troubled, but I am the Lord's servant, and therefore I will proceed into this hour for the sake of my Father who has sent me. He continues, or rather the passage continues, then a voice came from heaven. Ah, uh, no, Jesus did continue. Verse 28, sorry, I've got you going back and forth. Verse 28 Jesus continues, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The servant is going to be lifted up. And in being lifted up, he is going to draw all men to himself. Trust me. Jesus knew very well the passage that we have read here together this morning. And therefore, as he has understood his lifting up to include the cross, his ultimate exaltation coming only through that lifting up, which is the cross, which is where he would give his life and intercede for transgressors like you and me and everyone who will ever belong to him. He understood this passage. And he understood that for the servant to act knowingly and with wisdom to pursue this course, to intersect at that point, to make that intercession at that point that is the cross, that he would be beaten so badly, so ruthlessly, so brutally that he wouldn't be recognizable as a man that his facial features would be all but wiped from his face. That to look at him 
would cause you to want to vomit, would cause people to turn their faces from him so they wouldn't have to behold this monstrosity. This one who is so, in their understanding, rejected by God, so hated, so smitten, so afflicted. And he must have done something terrible, and he must be guilty of it. And Isaiah helps us to understand and helps us to observe this servant by saying, you look, you look, he will be exalted. Oh, yes, but no other will be so demoted on the way. No other will be so ashamed. No other will be so undignified. No other will be so rejected. Not only by man, but even there on the cross, by God. Jesus says, I'll be lifted up in a couple days. I'm going. That's who I am. That's what I'm here to do. That's what I'm going to do. And this is why I'm going to do it. And I will pay this price because you can't. And even if you could, you wouldn't. This is my prerogative. I am your king. And so he acts in accordance with his wisdom, not the world's. And he achieves that will for which he was purposed. And that is not the world's will. And is the will of the Heavenly Father. How great is his love. How severe is his justice. How colossal is his mercy. Well, behold his servant. And observe in him all of these things. Now, though it might be pleasant to spend all day here, we, we can't and we mustn't. So I'm going to ask you a question, and it's going to be rhetorical. You don't have to answer it yourself. And then we're going to move to Philippians chapter 2. So if you'd like to put a finger there, that's where we'll go, and that's where we're going to end. But I'd like to ask you this. If we are to behold the servant, and if we understand this servant to be the Son of God, the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, and we are in this moment being told as God's people, or for that matter, those who are not yet God's people, to behold this one, Jesus Christ. Well, we understand where our eyes then have been directed by God. Would you like to know where his eyes are directed. Would you like to know where Jesus' eyes are directed? I might. I'll presume that you may, at least. If you'll recall, we were called to worship from the book of Hebrews. That's chapter 12, if you need to look back later on. And Jesus went to the cross with something set before him that wasn't the cross. Do you recall what that was? It's okay if you don't, but whether you do or whether you don't, was for the joy set before him that he went to the cross, disregarding its shame. It was for the joy. Well, what joy is so great that it would propel him to obediently walk unto death and even death by a cross? Why don't you come with me to the latter portion of verse 10? We're back in Isaiah now. And into verse 11, for Jesus' vantage point, for the vantage point of eternity, for the purposes of God, 
for the eternal rest that he is purchasing for his people with his own blood and which stands forever and ever. Verse 10, midway. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Just for a visual, by the way, picture his hand for a moment, would you? And picture the other one with it. Can you do that? We sang earlier of these rich wounds that are upon his head. What of his hands? How committed is he? How committed is he to his Father's will? How committed is he, do you think, to his people? And if you are counted amongst them, how great a Savior, not do you have, but how great of a Savior has you? Let's continue, verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. We have his vantage point. And it is from that point in history where he is anguished. And where is he anguished the most? It is where he is upon the cross, rejected by men and heaven. And yet he sees something there, and he's satisfied. What could it possibly be? By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That satisfies him. Did he see this day on that day? Did he see this room? Did he see you? Knowing that he was going to present you before the heavenly father as righteous. Knowing that it was his life that was being spent to accomplish it. This satisfies him. So in God's eternal glory and mercy and power and providence... He tells us this morning to fix our eyes on this one who is his servant. And as we do so, we find what? His eyes are fixed on us. Nothing else in this world's history matters more than he being reconciled to his children. And as much as we say, oh, thank you, Jesus, do you think that the Father on your behalf, when you are presented righteous before him, might also utter, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. My child has come home, and I now, in their presence, will produce and provide everything they ever need now and forever. Thank you. This is heaven's perspective. And we are allowed to participate in it. We are allowed to share it. We are allowed to understand humbly that for whatever reason, we are worthy of heaven's gaze. We are worthy of the loving gaze of the king to be upon us. Despite what we've done, despite what we've thought, despite how we've acted, despite how our history would put us forward, when we go forward in the blood of Christ, we appear before God righteous, and that satisfies him. Oh, hallelujah. So, 
last step then, if we have indeed been given the grace to see that this sermon that we are to behold is none other than Jesus Christ. And if we understand that he suffered a humiliation unlike any we have ever known or could know in order to be lifted up, not just on the cross, but to the right hand of God. Well, then, indeed, as Isaiah began, he is high and lifted up and exalted. And that is before all men, not just those who he has come to save, but as we will read now in Philippians chapter 2, all of creation. So, give ears. We're speaking about Jesus, and we hear this now about him. Therefore, Thus, you should read Philippians chapter 2 up to this point yourself. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who purposed this in the beginning? Was it you? Was it me? Was it us? Was it mankind? No. It was God in Eden purposing this and establishing his servant, his son, and crushing him and bringing him then back from the dead. And then God the Father, it says in this passage, completes it and exalts him to his own right hand. For whose glory? Yours? Mine? Ours? No. His own. This is his purpose, this is his providence, and this is his prerogative, and he's simply making it known. Now, on that day, we've just read a true thing. What else would we expect from God? Nothing. Good. That on that day, at the name of Jesus, the one who did bear the shame of the cross and who did descend into hell and who was resurrected on the third day and who did ascend into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father from whence he shall come to judge. On that day, I promise you, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's established. But only some on that day will know him as Lord and Savior. For those who do not know him as Lord and Savior, they will on that day and for eternity to come from that day as Lord and Judge. And there is only one righteous servant. And there is only one righteousness, and it is from God. There is only one name under, under heaven by which men may be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. And if that has been received by grace through faith, then that one is saved. That church is established. That church is saved and preserved forever and ever, however. If he is made known in God's word by none other than the Spirit of God for people to hear and is rejected then with him is rejected eternal life at peace with God. He's the only way. And so it is the mission of the church on earth at this time to make him known, to more and more be conformed into his image, to spend our lives on behalf of 
transgressors. Those who sin not because they can't help it, not because someone else made them do it, but because they want to. And why would we be in any way motivated to serve them? Please behold the servant of the Lord and see there the wounds on his head and look again at his hands and take a glance at his side and look down at his feet. What would compel us to present him to transgressors like us. It's because we have been so served and we have been so saved and we know the power of that salvation and we know the power of that name and they yet remain ignorant. And so we do this on a Sunday morning. And so we're allowed to bring our friends on a Sunday morning. And so Christians are populating the rest of the world on the rest of the week as well. So we need to know, where are my eyes supposed to be as I walk out into this world? As I approach that voting booth for those of us 18 years old and up, as I approach that boss, as I approach that spouse, as I approach that wayward child, where am I supposed to even look? You've been told. You look at the one who is high and lifted up and exalted to whom you belong and who is coming. Pray with me. Father, for the assurance that we, your people, are given by your word, we receive it again today gratefully and not with any credit to ourselves. But we recognize in your word your faithfulness, your long-suffering, your purpose. And to have the likes of us and to count us as your own. Lord, may we know the greatness not only of your will, but of your work done on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we observe him, may we see the value of this world squarely placed as a distant, distant second. May we operate, Lord, may we think, speak, and act as those who are, in fact, your children, currently citizens of your kingdom, awaiting the return of our King. Father, bless us to the ends that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And that, in Jesus' name, amen.